0: Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from AntiWar.com. This is AntiWar News for Friday, February 10th, 2023. All right, the first story at the top of AntiWar.com today. Ukraine relies on U.S. intel for rocket strikes. So the Washington Post reported Thursday that Ukraine is reliant on coordinates provided or confirmed by the U.S. and its allies to launch strikes using the U.S.-provided HIMARS rocket systems, a revelation that demonstrates Washington's deep involvement in the war. So the HIMARS is a precision guided artillery system, and it is one that Ukraine has been using quite a bit in its fight against Russia. And one example of a HIMARS strike is a January 1st. Uh, If you remember, it was New Year's Day. Uh, Ukraine targeted a facility housing Russian forces in Donetsk and killed at least 89 Russian soldiers. That's how many. Russia confirmed Ukraine claimed that they killed a few hundred, Uh, but Russia said confirmed at least 89, and that was launched using a HIMARS rocket system. So according to this report, the U.S. uh, likely gave them the coordinates for that strike. So the report cited unnamed Ukrainian officials and one uh, U.S. official, and it said that Ukraine also relies on the U.S. for targeting using other precision weapons. They have a similar system known as the Multiple Launch Rocket System. I believe they also have a British one that's similar. Uh, one senior Ukrainian official said that Ukrainian forces almost never launch strikes using these weapons without coordinates provided by U.S. military personnel that are located at a military base in a different country in Europe. So the, the, the military personnel, the U.S. military personnel that they're coordinating with are at a base somewhere else in Europe, uh, likely uh, you know in, a, in another NATO country. So top Biden administration officials have acknowledged publicly, we know that they've been providing Ukraine with intelligence to carry out attacks on Russian forces, but the details of that cooperation was not exactly clear. So this report said that the way it works is Ukrainian officials or Ukrainian soldiers, I guess, identify targets that they want to hit and the location. and Then they provide that information to the U.S. military for more accurate coordinates. The U.S. military then usually sends the coordinates over, although it says sometimes they don't and the Ukrainian forces don't fire. So a senior Ukrainian official said that this cooperation shows that the U.S. can provide longer range weapons without having to worry about them being used to hit inside Russian territory. This official said, quote, you're controlling every shot anyway. So when you say we're afraid that you're going to use it for some other purposes, well, we can't even do it if we want to, end quote. Interesting that he says you're controlling every shot. Uh, but a U.S. official disputed the idea, uh, this is in comments to the Washington Post, that Ukraine was running the targets by the U.S. for approval and said that the U.S. only provides coordinates. So earlier in the war, uh, Ukraine's, uh, one of their top intelligence officials said that they consult with the U.S. before launching the HIMARS strikes and that the U.S. has veto power. But this official seems to be disputing that and it's possible that ukraine could have more freedom now to choose their own targets as we know the biden administration is less and less concerned about escalating the war so russia has made clear that it views the us and ukraine's uh, cooperation on on targeting like this as an example of the us's direct role in the war um when that Ukrainian official said that back in August, that you know they consult with the U.S. before these strikes, they said that's an example of how the U.S. is directly involved. And Russia is not alone in this assessment. In the early days of the war, back in March 2022, Rep. Adam Smith, Democrat from Washington at the time, he was the chair of the House Armed Services Committee, He said that the U.S. was not providing what he called real-time targeting intelligence to Ukraine because that kind of cooperation uh, steps over the line, making the U.S. a participant in the war. Uh, So there you have, you know, again, a high-level U.S. government official saying, you know, if we give them this targeting intelligence, that means we're participating in the war. And yet, uh, it was around that time earlier in the war, March, April, there were reports saying that the U S was loosening restrictions on the intelligence that it could provide Ukraine. Um, so again, it, how can you say that the U S isn't directly involved in this war at this point? All right. The next one, uh, another concerning escalation here, Ukraine is prepared to strike Crimea with British missiles. And this is according to a report from the times of London, that said, Ukraine is in discussion with the UK in discussions with the UK about receiving longer-range missiles and is prepared to use them against Crimea, which would mark another major escalation of Western involvement in the war. So, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak promised more aid for Kiev when Zelensky visited London on Wednesday, and the Times report said that the discussions are now underway on whether future aid should include harpoon anti-ship missiles or surface-to-air. Storm Shadow Missiles. Ukrainian sources told The Times that they would plan to use these missiles to hit Crimea. Uh, The Ukrainians are saying, yeah, if they give us these, we're going to hit Crimea with them. Of course, that would really risk provoking Moscow. But both the U.S. and Britain are less concerned about escalating the war at this point. Again, that's been the common theme over the past few weeks. Ukraine has already received some harpoon missiles from Denmark and launchers from the U.S., so the harpoon missiles, you know, we always talk about the missile range. Uh, the U.S. just announced they're going to send those missiles that have a range of up to 94 miles. Before that, the HIMARS rocket system they've been sending, it's 50 miles. The harpoons are longer range. I believe the ones that the U.S., uh, I don't know, the U.S. Actually, actually hasn't sent missiles, not that we know of at least, but Denmark did, uh, an undisclosed number. But the U.S. provided launchers, they're said to have a range of about 70 miles but other variants can hit targets over 100 miles away. And this is different than the artillery because these are supposed to be for coastal defense to hit ships. Uh, But uh, And it's not clear really if they could use the harpoons in their ground battle against Russia with the current launchers that they have. But Ukrainian officials did claim that they used harpoon missiles to sink a Russian military tugboat last June. Uh, And the Times report said that the harpoons could be outfitted to be fired off of trucks, but that they would be less accurate if they were used on the ground. So now these storm shadow missiles could hit targets at a range between about 150 miles and 350 miles, depending on the variant. So that's a big range, and it has a much longer range than anything that, you know, the West has provided Ukraine with to this point. And they're typically fired from aircraft. And this report that they're considering sending these missiles, it comes after Sunak said that they're going to start training Ukrainian pilots and the British are considering looking at uh, giving them planes in the long term. And of course, Moscow would would view you know, the provision of jets and longer range missiles as a major provocation. And Russian officials have been warning strongly against this move. And you know the recent reporting about this, about the US helping Ukraine plot to strike Crimea, basically suggests that they're not worried about escalation based only on the fact that Putin hasn't used a nuke up to this point or bombed a NATO country up to this point. That's it. That's what they're basing all of this on, all of these escalations. Ah, he hasn't done anything. He's not going to do it. Let's keep escalating. Um, but Putin has shown that that he will escalate in response to attacks on Crimea because he didn't start bombing the infrastructure uh, s- until after the truck bombing of the Kerch Bridge, which connects Crimea to the Russian mainland. Um, All right, the next one here, this is from Kyle Anzalone over at the Libertarian Institute. Germany is the main provider of tanks to Ukraine, putting Berlin in a position that it sought to avoid. So this is interesting because, you know, the reason why Germany said that they wouldn't send their tanks unless the U.S. would was because they didn't want Ukraine to end up with a fleet of, like, only German-made tanks. Uh, There was reports earlier that said, German officials were worried, you know, not so much even just about them being the only ones sending tanks, Ukraine getting a a fleet of just German made tanks, they believe that that would make them a possible target for retaliation from Moscow, you know, unique from other NATO countries. And all these countries said that they're going to send their tanks. But so far, really, it's Germany uh, is is sending uh, could send them over 200 of the Leopard 1 and Leopard 2 tanks. Poland announced they're going to send some, but that's really it. Britain's going to send their Challenger two tank, and now U.S. officials are saying that the Abrams tanks are going to take could take two years to be delivered. So this report uh, that Kyle Anzalone covered here um, was in the Wall Street Journal, basically just saying uh, that Germany's kind of getting stuck with the with the bill on this, and pretty soon um, they're going to start delivering these Leopard tanks in a couple months. And they're going to end up in the situation, the exact situation that they wanted to avoid. Um, all right. So the next one here, a GOP resolution to end support for the Ukraine war. So Representative Matt Gates, Republican from Florida, he introduced a resolution on Thursday that calls for an immediate end to U.S. military and financial support for Ukraine and urges the warring sides to negotiate a ceasefire. This resolution is called the Ukraine Fatigue Resolution. It was led by Gates and received 10 other co-sponsors. If passed, it would express that it is it is the sense of the House of Representatives that the United States must end its military and financial aid to Ukraine and urges all combatants to reach a peace agreement. Throughout the war, Gates has been critical of U.S. support for Ukraine and has previously called for an end to the policy. Uh, in a statement... When uh, he introduced the resolution, Gates said President Joe Biden must have forgotten his prediction from March 2022, suggesting that arming Ukraine with military equipment will escalate the conflict to World War III. America is in a state of managed decline, and it will exacerbate if we continue to hemorrhage our taxpayer dollars toward a foreign war. We must suspend all foreign aid for the war in Ukraine and demand that all combatants in this conflict reach a peace agreement immediately, end quote. So the 10 co-sponsors for this are uh, Andy Biggs, it's all Republicans, of Arizona, Lauren Boebert of Colorado, Paul Gosar of Arizona, Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, Anna Paulina Luna of Florida, Thomas Massey of Kentucky, Mary Miller of Illinois, Barry Moore of Alabama, Ralph Norman of South Carolina, and Matt Rosendale. Uh, so Gates's resolution notes that the U.S. has already authorized over $110 billion to spend on the war in less than a year. Um, so, I mean, this resolution, uh, I, I think it has a little chance of passing, but I think it would be really good to get this on the floor for a vote and to kind of see where where everybody stands. Uh, I would be really curious to see how many Republicans vote, vote in favor of, of something like this, not just saying, oh, let's audit the aid. This is saying cut it off, end it. Uh, and and push for a peace deal. Um, I would be c- curious to see if any progressives would join in, but I don't know. I ha- I don't have much faith in them anymore. Uh, the ones in Congress. Uh, okay, so the next one: Starlink limits uh, Ukraine's use. SpaceX limits Ukraine's use of Starlink. It says that it should not be weaponized. So the president of SpaceX, Gwyn Shotwell, said Wednesday that the company has limited Ukraine's use of Starlink terminals and that it wasn't the company's intention for the satellite internet service to be weaponized. Shotwell referred to media reports that said Ukraine was using Starlink to spot targets with drones. She said, quote, there are things that we can do to limit their ability to do that. There are things that we can do and have done, end quote. She didn't really get into details of how they can limit it, but SpaceX CEO Elon Musk said his company began providing Starlink terminals to Ukraine uh, early in the war. Shotwell said that the terminals were never meant to be weaponized. She said, quote, however, Ukrainians have leveraged it in ways that were unintentional and not part of any agreement, end quote. She said that it was okay if Ukraine's military was using it for communication, but that the company's intent was not to have them used for offensive purposes. So Ukraine has received thousands of Starlink terminals since Russia invaded. Some of them were funded by the U.S., and French governments, but SpaceX also donated many of the terminals on their own. Musk Musk said in October that providing the terminals would cost his company over $100 million by the end of 2022. But despite his support for Ukraine, Musk drew the ire of Ukrainian officials last fall when he floated an idea for a potential peace deal that involved Kiev giving up its claim to Crimea. Most notably Andrzej Milnik, who is a Ukrainian diplomat, diplomat, told him to F off. Um, and what was interesting is this guy Melnik was on his way out from Germany over a few uh, kind of things he said over there. And I checked up on him to see where he is now. And apparently he's the deputy uh, foreign minister. Um, so he landed himself a pretty good job in the government, even after all the Uh, problems that he had in in germany Um, all right so the next one here this is again from kyle anzalone over at the libertarian institute u.s and french troops lead nato live fire war games in romania so nato is once again carrying out military exercises on its eastern flank the combat drills dubbed eagle royal 23 are being held in romania as well as the black sea American and French soldiers led the 350 troops participating in the war games. So Kyle makes an interesting point that that uh, Seymour Hersh article report said that the U.S. used NATO war games, allegedly, according to Hersh, as cover to plant the explosives on the Nord Stream pipelines. During the military exercises, NATO forces fired HIMARS munitions. Washington has transferred a significant number of these launchers and rockets to Kiev. Uh, The war games opened on February 2nd and will conclude on Friday. The drill aims to test the Alliance's ability to defend this area of Europe. Um, So that's a good point he makes, you know, that they used uh, NATO war games as cover to bomb the pipeline. Um, All right, the next one. uh, Senator Mike Lee, Republican from Utah, says that he cannot rule out that the U.S. blew up Nord Stream. So Lee wrote this on Twitter on Wednesday. Uh, And this came after Seymour Hersh published the explosive report that detailed how the U.S. sabotaged the pipelines with the cooperation of Norway allegations at the White House. The CIA and I saw the Norwegian Foreign Ministry have all denied. Uh, But Lee wrote on Twitter, quote, I'm troubled that I can't immediately rule out the suggestion that the U.S. blew up Nord Stream. I checked with a bunch of Senate colleagues. Among those I've asked, none were ever briefed on this. If it turns out to be true, we've got a huge problem, end quote. So according to Hirsch's report, which cites a source with direct knowledge of the operational planning, Congress did not need to be notified of the plan to blow up the pipelines because it was downgraded from being a covert operation. So this is one of the strangest details of the report. The reason that it was downgraded, because it was initially a covert CIA operation, but then President Biden came out and publicly threatened the Nord Stream 2 pipelines, and then because Hersh's source said that after Biden's threat, senior CIA officials determined that the plan was no longer a covert operation, because the president just announced um, that they know how to do it. According to the report, the operation was then downgraded from a covert operation to a highly classified intelligence operation with U.S. military support. The source said that because of the change, there was no longer a legal requirement to uh, notify Congress. So the report said that U.S. Navy divers planted C-4 explosives on the Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 pipelines in June, again during the NATO drills in the region. They were later detonated by a sonar buoy dropped by a Norwegian uh, spy plane. Um, All right, so now... The next one here is related. Uh, we actually just left up the Seymour Hersh article just because, you know, it's it's very important. And, you know, so far there's been not much attention, of course, in American media. Uh, the Times of London, you know, reported it uh, pretty well, actually. You know, they uh, I don't remember all the details of how they reported on it. But, you know, the headline said, you know, the U.S. bomb Nord Stream pipeline, according to this report. But I haven't seen anything, you know, in the New York Times or the Washington Post, um, Wall Street Journal or anything like that. So but we have something very interesting here from our friend uh, Sam Husseini. This is over at his Substack, And he uh, got into the State Department briefing. I guess this was on Thursday. And he asked Ned Price um, about this report. And I think the way Price responds says a lot. So I'm just going to play this here. It's about a two minute video.
1: I'm sure you're aware of the new report from Seymour Hersh, how America took up the North Stream Pipeline and the White House's denial of any involvement. Given the longstanding U.S. opposition to the pipeline, Secretary Blinken's calling its demise a tremendous opportunity, and Secretary Under Secretary of State Newland's saying that the U.S. officials were pleased with the destruction of the pipeline, especially the, the secretive investigation. Do you think the U.S. government's uh denial of involvement is credible
2: i absolutely do and i repeat it here
1: um Anything so else let you? me follow up on that if i might um have you or anybody else at the state department um any communication with german norwegian ambassadors or other allies or officials on this matter on the matter of Nord Stream 2 on the matter of the latest allegations um which give a Apparently, I mean it is, it is source, it, but, is but it is a it is barely
2: it is it would it would not be uh, fact, it, it would it would not be typical for us to engage allies and partners on something that is utter and complete nonsense and that should be rejected out of hand uh, by anyone who is looking at it through uh,
1: <laughs> through an objective
2: lens yes one, go ahead
1: one, one more aspect on this one of the allegations that her makes is that it was taken off the cia in order to prevent involvement uh, oversight uh, as a covert operation did you read the piece i'm familiar with it uh one of his allegations is that it was taken off the
2: Look, rather than let this this propaganda get be, be aired in in the briefing room but let, 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 let me just say it is a fundamental misunderstanding of oversight in our u.s congress beyond getting his facts entirely wrong as he has before and very uh, High-profile ways. Uh, it is a fundamental misunderstanding to suggest that our intelligence community is not subject to oversight. Anyone who writes that, anything who writes anything like that, no, no, uh, no, should, that should
1: not that, be believed on any no, no, no. That, he he that it was taken off of a uh, CIA and put under military in order to. Prepare. Our military is also subject
2: to rigorous oversight. That, that, that's uh, my, go question. Go that's yes, my question. Yes, the answer do is you, yes. Do you
1: recognize and abide by the? Um, the war powers clause in such a situation, and the War Powers Resolution in such a situation. In a situation,
2: question. your question is: If we abide by the War Powers Resolution in in a situation that never occurred, you in, know, any in any
1: situation, in any situation involving U.S. military, do you abide by the War Powers Resolution? We we follow the law in every instance. Yes. including The War Powers Resolution. We
2: follow the War Power Resolu- War Powers Resolution and the broader law in every instance. Yes. Mm-hmm. Go
1: ahead. Thank you.
0: So I think Price answered, you know, showed that he didn't actually read it because he he was he didn't understand what Sam was trying to ask him about the thing being downgraded. Um, but yeah, it's just it's always good to see them get questions, you know, that they that they're not comfortable with, and it's rare that you know journalists ask like that. So um, I just thought that was very interesting, and you know, they you know lie through their teeth all the time. So if you remember after the. Back in August uh, 2021, or after August 2021, when the U.S. withdrew from Afghanistan and they launched that drone strike in Kabul that killed 10 innocent civilians, the Pentagon knew that they killed civilians. uh, But all the officials, the spokesman uh, and General Mark Milley, all were still denying it to the media. Milley called it a righteous strike, even though the military knew that it killed civilians. So always got to keep that in mind. And Hirsch said uh, that when he first reported on Abu Ghraib, Um, which was confirmed, uh, the torture at that prison in Iraq. Uh, The Pentagon, you know, denied it and called it like a tapestry of lies or something. So um, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Hopefully, you know, there is some more confirmation, but we'll see. Uh, All right. So the last news story here, um, only thing not Ukraine and Russia related, uh, the U.S. hits Iran with fresh sanctions that target petrochemicals. So the U.S. has been sanctioning Iran a lot lately. Um, These ones are a little more significant than just sanctions against Iranian officials that are already in a government under sanctions, so they don't really have much effect. But this is kind of just wanted to update people kind of on the situation with Iran with this story. So these sanctions targeted um, companies accused of facilitating the sale of Iranian petroleum and petrochemicals to Asia. The U.S. Treasury Department said that the sanctions targeted six Iran-based petrochemical manufacturers or their subsidiaries and three firms in Malaysia and Singapore involved in facilitating the sale and shipment of petroleum and petrochemicals. We've seen a lot of sanctions from the U.S. like this over the past couple of years, specifically targeting their oil and petroleum petrochemical sales to Asia uh, because Iran has found a lot of buyers in Asia that aren't worried about running afoul of U.S. sanctions. So the U.S. is trying to target them. And then a lot of these companies that they target, I don't think uh, they really, um, it really has much impact on them. Um, But the U.S. has been increasing sanctions on Iran throughout the Biden administration, but more so since indirect talks to revive the nuclear deal known as the JCPOA have been stalled. In November, President Biden was caught on camera saying that the JCPOA is dead, but that he could not announce it. Uh, Besides the sanctions, the U.S. has also expressed support for protesters inside Iran and is stepping up military cooperation with Israel. They just recently held their largest military drills ever, and Israel just launched a drone attack in the Iranian city of Isfahan, and Iran has formally blamed Israel. U.S. officials speaking to the media said it was Israel. And they said they emphasized that the attack came while the U.S. and Israel were coordinating on ways to contain Iran's military capabilities, kind of hinting that the U.S. was involved in some way, whether they kind of gave him the green light or were involved, you know, more so than that. Uh, you know, we, we don't know. But the fact that they emphasize that, I think, says a lot. Uh, but that's the situation with Iran. Tensions are high and, um, you know, things could always heat up over there. Up, that's it for the news for today. Um, another thing, I, one thing I didn't get to, I'll, I'll probably do after the weekend, just kind of give an update on the China balloon situation. Uh, if you go to the page and you scroll down toward the bottom, we have a China section with some balloon stories, but I just want to update, uh, you know, the Pentagon is now claiming that they're, these balloons are part of this big, you know, global surveillance uh, apparatus. Uh, so again, it's all very strange, but. I think I I do need to really sift through everything and kind of just, you know, figure uh, some stuff out about it. Um, But go check out our viewpoints. We have one from Ramsey Baroud, how the Gaza experiment resulted in the downfall of Israeli politicians. One from Ted Snyder. No, China is not switching sides. Oh, That link didn't work. One from Patrick Lawrence, the media reckoning on Russiagate. One from John Weeks, the Duke in the Shining attack helicopter, and one from Stephen Kinzer about uh, an issue I care about a lot, that the earthquake ought to loosen U.S. policy on Syria. They should lift sanctions. Uh, but that's it for me for today. That is it for the week. I'll be back after the weekend. Um, you could always support us, antiwar.com slash donate, and you could always support us as well just by sharing the show around, sharing the website, telling people to read antiwar.com, listen to this show all that. Uh, But that's it. I'll talk to you after the weekend. Thanks for listening.